0: The insurance industry is the backbone of the economy. It's the reason we're able to take risks, and it's the force that helps put us all back together when disaster strikes. So in this podcast, I'll be spending some quality time with key CEOs to ask them how certain world events can impact the insurance industry and how the insurance industry is impacting the world. We'll also be talking about how they rose to the C-suite. It seems like no one grows up yearning for an insurance career, but here we are. I'm Meg Green, Managing Editor of the online insurance magazine Insider Engage, and this is CEO Perspectives.
1: the major hurricane bearing down now on the U.S., making landfall this evening, Hurricane Delta. This is the 10th named storm to hit the U.S. this season alone. That's an all-time record.
0: Days of heavy rains have drowned out these villages. On the ground, tens of thousands of people here in Malawi have been affected, many now homeless. Italy has declared
1: a state of emergency as millions grapple with the worst drought in the country in 70 years. Thousands of people in the western United States are spending the weekend in evacuation centres as wildfires continue to burn across the region. The death toll from the recent floods in the South African province of KwaZulu-Natal has risen
0: to 49 and many others are missing after days of torrential rain. Authorities say it's the worst flooding in decades and ex are linking the storms to climate change. Over the last 30 years, natural disasters worldwide have tripled. The frequency and intensity of droughts, floods, wildfires and hurricanes is now at its highest peak. That, combined with shifting populations, has put more people at greater risk for facing natural catastrophes. Property and casualty insurers and reinsurers face this risk from both sides of their balance sheet. They underwrite homes and businesses that can be damaged or destroyed by extreme weather events, plus have traditionally provided insurance to large fossil fuel producers. On the investment side, insurers are facing pressure to avoid investing in fossil fuels in favor of supporting more green technologies. So what does the future hold for the insurance industry? And how is the industry planning on taking a role to fight climate change? Joining us from Paris today to share his insight on this issue is Jean-Paul Conesante, the CEO of Score Group PNC. Jean-Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Oh, you're welcome, Meg. Now, are you in Paris right now?
1: I am in Paris, yes.
0: Do you, you have dual citizenship? Is that right?
1: I do, yeah. I was born in, born in the U.S. and grew up uh, my childhood in France. And I lived about half my life in France, half my life in the U.S.,
0: and you have an interesting background. You didn't study insurance right off the bat, did
1: you? No, I didn't. I, I stumbled into insurance, reinsurance. I started out um, studying earthquake engineering, then worked as an earthquake engineer in California uh, after my studies. And the company I was working for started in the uh, the 90s. Uh, modeling uh, risk for insurance companies There was the uh, the start of uh, cap modeling there was an opportunity for me to move back to europe and go into cap modeling but i, I knew nothing about insurance reinsurance really and, uh, and that's how i, I started in the industry and then i went from cap modeling to uh, being a broker to being a reinsurer so that's that's a bit my journey in the industry
0: what did what did you like about insurance what drew you in
1: I like the the, techni- the technical aspect of it. I also like the commercial aspect of it uh, and reinsurance. It's about forging long-term uh, relationships. It's a small industry as well, so you get to know everyone in the industry very quickly. And uh, I think it's, it's an industry that's always looking at new topics, new new subjects. And, and so it's, it's very innovative in terms of the material uh, that, we, that we look at.
0: So uh, Jean-Paul, you've been in the industry, in the insurance industry for a long time. Uh, how did you get interested or in, really involved in the climate change aspect
1: from a personal standpoint as well as as we uh, as we discussed, my background comes from uh, earthquake engineering so I've been involved in the modeling of, of uh, natural catastrophes ever since I graduated and so climate change uh, is a big driver uh, in my view of many of these of these perils. And so, I find it uh, intellectually challenging. It's a topic we've been looking at as far as I can tell, you know, since the 80s and 90s. And I, I think a lot of the predictions we had made back in the 90s, we're actually seeing them today in 2020. So, it's, you know, I think there's a, a real driver from a, a technical and uh, intellectual perspective.
0: So SCORE has been a leader among insurers in climate change. Uh, You've uh, participated in the UN Global Compact in 2003 and were a founding member of the Principles for Sustainable Insurance in 2012 and the Net Zero Insurance Alliance last year. So what role do you see insurers playing in fighting climate change?
1: I think insurers have a have a key role to play in the fight for climate change, especially uh, on the on the P side. From from by background, uh, we're experts in, in climate risk, and so I, I think we can contribute to to help with a better understanding, not necessarily of the meteorological you know uh, aspects, but more the impact on uh, on, on people's uh, everyday lives. Uh, as insurers, we're also uh, exposed to climate change on the business side uh, every day, both on the physical risk aspect as well. As a transition risk when it comes to expected revenues from uh, fossil energies, for example. And I think also the insurers can benefit or contribute to opportunities linked to transition. You know, being greed business on on underwriting or or on the investment side, looking at new solutions to help clients transition to different uh, sources of energy, supporting uh, new new sources of energy uh, through insurance reinsurance. And, and fostering new ideas. And so I, I think insurers have a, a key role to play in investing in solutions for climate risk adaptation and, and contributing to the transition of the economy to, uh, to a low carbon economy. Uh, insurance you know, is a key facilitator for, for the economy. And I think without insurance, uh, this transition would not be possible.
0: Do you think the insurance industry is doing enough?
1: I think insurers, you know, already do a lot. I, I think we can probably do more. We already did a lot of work uh, as a company trying to assess the carbon footprint of our investment portfolio. Uh, there's been a lot of work done over the past uh, few years, uh, you know, coming out of Europe, but uh, more more globally. I, I think through the Net Zero Insurance Alliance, we're trying to replicate the same approach on the insurance side. It, it's a bit more complicated than the investment side. But I, I, I think there, once we have a better sense of uh, being able to measure the carbon footprint of our portfolio, I think it would be much uh, easier and, and probably faster to start working on the improvement of the carbon footprint uh, as well. Another way that we can contribute is probably through more partnerships with governments as well. I mean right now you know governments are are taking an approach that's very regulatory driven but then pushing most of the responsibility back on individual companies or individual uh segments like the insurance industry through you know combined partnership uh, private uh, public we, we probably can achieve a lot more a lot faster uh than the current approach and i think the insurance industry has has a role to play there
0: on the underwriting side, uh, could we explore a little bit how Score is addressing insuring fossil fuel producers?
1: First, as a reminder, Score was was one of the the first companies to exit the insurance of new coal mines uh, and plant projects since two thousand seventeen, and and also we committed to phasing out uh, unabated coal plants by two thousand thirty in the. Uh, OECD countries and by 2040 uh, worldwide. You know, as you, as you mentioned, we're also a founder of some of the key um, associations uh, on the insurance side uh, looking at helping us get to a, a net zero by 2050. I think the new measures were taken uh, on the insurance side um, that we announced is no new coverage, uh, new coverage of new oil field productions from 2023 and the ambition to double the the coverage for uh, low carbon energy by 2025 i think this you know there's a lot of focus uh, on on exiting segments that are viewed as contributing negatively to uh, to climate change, I, I think we probably don't talk enough uh, about uh, some of the positive projects or contributions we can make to ensure uh, that the economy, you know, adjusts to to this transition and, and to foster a a transition other than just excluding risk. So we're we're engaging with our clients and partners to to use a transition and see how we can help them. Uh, in this uh, energy transition. We also worked on a number of projects trying to, uh, for example, see how we can, through insurance, use some of the negative carbon uh, allotment for, for um, forestry and sell, you know, through the selling of, of uh, negative CO2, provide income to uh, forestry owners and help some of the industries that are that contribute to, to CO2 emissions to offset this.
0: Do you see, and, and not to go back to dwell on the negative aspect, but do you see that expanding to to reduce coverage for industry that rely a lot on fossil fuels?
1: Yes, I would expect um, these restrictions to to expand gradually to uh, large users of fossil fuels. But I think it will be very much dependent on... uh, uh, on geography uh, relative to to the timing, so in countries like in, in in Europe or the U.S., where there's there's a selection of alternative uh, sources of energy, I'd say probably the uh, the pressure w- will be uh, greater in the near near term to to ha- add restrictions to large users. I think in other geographies, you know, taking Africa or India as examples, where fossil fuel remains a, a very big uh, component uh, of the uh, energy use for the economy, you know, the the restrictions there will probably be uh, more in the medium to long term, because first the economies have to transition to alternative uh, fuels uh, before you can start excluding a large chunk of the economy.
0: And as you said, insurers uh, are impacted by climate change, both uh, both on the underwriting and the investment side. Can you tell us about SCORE and how you've looked at your investments to try to reduce uh, investments in fossil fuels?
1: Yeah, Yeah. so SCORES does not invest in companies with more than 10% of revenues from most of the non-conventional fossil fuel energies, nor in oil and gas producers. Currently, investment in companies with non-conventional fuels uh, activities represents 0.8% of our corporate bond book. Uh, And we've also committed to reduce by 27% the the carbon intensity of our corporate bonds and equities portfolio by the end of 2024, uh, comparing this to the end of 2019 and we're very much on track to deliver this this commitment. We also intend to double the investments in green, social, and sustainable wellness by the end of 2024, as compared to the end of 2020, and start to engage on, on deforestation with the same investees through collaborative initiatives. So we're very much focused on, uh, on making sure that we're attaining all our sustainable uh, investment goals by 2024.
0: So looking at the impact of climate change impacting the frequency and severity of natural catastrophes, can you tell us how you're changing your book of business?
1: Yes, we we believe climate change has been uh, one of the uh, main causes of the large cat activity we've seen really since 2017-18, and as a result, you know, using models that use a historical record to try to predict the uh, frequency and severity, uh, we we think it's it's time to adapt this. We we ourselves have done a lot of uh, studies to try to predict not what the impact would be in the next 20 to 30 years but what would be the impact over the next five years? And so from a scientific point of view, this is very challenging uh, as uh, from, you know, meteorology is sort of a a longer term uh, science looking at uh, decades instead of years. But from a business point of view, you know, we need to look at years and, and not decades. So our conclusion is that uh, there is a significant rise of of, of frequency of climate sensitive uh, risks, and right now we, we don't see, we don't believe there's there's, there's enough evidence to um, change our views on the severity of our models that we use to, to predict uh, sort of uh, maximum losses for, for different risks. So we've adapted our portfolio to kind of uh, reduce our exposure to frequency uh, or uh, in the cases where we're, we still provide coverage, significantly increase the prices uh, to match the risk so it's it's more a question of um, rate adequacy uh, for the for the perceived risk and there depending on the market depending on the on the peril, our, our perception of risk uh, you know is not always aligned with the client's view or the market's view so when the, when it's not aligned we sort of reposition our capacity uh, higher up on the programs and on a more non proportional basis or a view of risk is aligned with the market view, that would provide capacity uh, more across the board.
0: Do you think there are areas of the world that are becoming uninsurable?
1: I, I don't think anything is uninsurable. I, I think the, the 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 real question is. Are the the risk owners willing to pay the price or the perceived price of the risk? You know, uh, I think a good example is Florida, where where already uh, home insurance, for example, is it very expensive. You know, do I personally believe that the rates are adequate? The answer is no. Are people who are already paying? hundreds of thousands of dollars in insurance uh, to insure their homes, willing to pay a lot more? Uh, probably not. So I, I think that's when the, the question of uh, uninsurable uh, insurability comes into play is when the risk owners don't have the same perception of risk and are not willing to pay the price of the risk. In those cases, you know, either the markets go uninsured or the government steps in and tries to provide a, a solution Uh, which is basically uh, not risk-based, but uh, economically based. For example, uh, you know, helping homeowners or policyholders uh, afford insurance or provide the equivalent of cheap insurance uh, through government aids or, or other measures.
0: So looking out over the reinsurance industry today, how would you describe the market?
1: I I think it's it's a it's a positive market overall. I think the last uh, you know it's been a difficult run for the uh, reinsurance market in general, with five years of you know uh, poor performance globally, mainly driven by cat COVID. Also didn't help, but uh, cat was a big driver of the poor results. I, I think as a result, there's been very strong market reaction, you know, not necessarily in all, all segments in all areas, but uh, a return to uh, the need for technical profitability has really been a big driver over the last, let's uh, say, five to 10 years for the industry. So I, I think it remain very positive on the industry in general. The question comes more as a company, do we feel the, you know, the uh, the return for the capital required is adequate in all segments, and they're uh, probably more reserved on the on the climate, you know, on the climate sensitive cat, for example, where we feel that despite the significant price increases, we probably need a lot more to get back to um, to a rate adequacy. There's other lines of business, you know, we we see. You know, for example, marine, uh, credit, surety, uh, engineering are lines of business that have been stressed by you know f- by poor performance in the past. There's been a lot of capacity uh, withdrawn from those lines of business, uh, a lot of remediation uh, as a market done to those lines of business, and so today they're in a state that's uh, fairly attractive. But I think there's still, you know, also as an industry, risk is our uh, matière première, is our is our uh, resources on which we, we build. And I, I think there's more and more risk. Uh, the risk universe is expanding. And so, uh, you know, cyber is one that's emerged over the last uh, 10, 15 years. You know, there's a lot of new risks emerging every day for which uh, th- there's no insurance currently and where insurance and reinsurance uh, can provide a new solution. So I think as an industry, you know, we'll never run out of risk uh, to cover. I think that's, that's an exciting perspective that, you know, we can help the economy uh, as the economy and uh, our lives change to more technology, you know, different ways of, uh, of evolving. Insurance and reinsurance will, will remain an important development uh, support for, for this evolution.
0: What do you see as the biggest challenge facing the industry today?
1: The biggest challenge is, is being able to respond uh, to the population's need for more and more coverage. I think as a, as a society, the risk aversion is, is very high. Society doesn't want to retain risk anymore and is looking naturally to ins- the insurance industry to take on more and more risk. And I think our challenge is, is to understand all these different new risks emerging uh, and be able to quantify uh, the risk and, and make sure we get the appropriate product and pricing for, for these new emerging risks.
0: How do you see the industry continuing to evolve going forward?
1: We'll probably become uh, much more client-centric than it is today. I I think that's a need. When you talk about challenges, that's probably one of the challenges as well, uh, more client-centricity and and adapting our our products, our services, our our company structures to being more client-centric. And that goes for insurance as well as reinsurance. In, in my point of view, I think an, another challenge we face is probably generational staffing of the companies, where the industry tends to be typically a lot of uh, gray hair people, uh, with not not a lot of uh, training programs bringing uh, kind of younger generations. And I think over the next five to 10 years, that will be an issue for the industry. And so we have to also make the, the the work attractive to the younger generation. And I think, you know, the client centricity is, in my view, one way of making it more attractive because it will involve technology. It will involve a different way of looking at uh, how to address customers' needs. You know, from that perspective, uh, you know, we'll be as attractive to some of the, the workforce than, than other industries.
0: John paul if there was one thing you could change change about the insurance industry, what would it be?
1: (laughs) Um, I I think uh, what I would uh, like to change is is probably uh, public perception. As an industry, both from a customer point of view as well as from a potential uh, employee point of view, insurance is not very sexy and it is often viewed as not the bad guy, but as an industry that is not associated with the financial industry in general and viewed more as a... Uh, sort of brick and mortar industry. The reality is very, in my view, is very different. You know, when we look at the changes in the industry over the last 10 years, it's been tremendous. And I think the next 10 years will be even faster. So I, I think uh, our, the public perception of the industry is, is the one thing I would change.
0: And what's your favorite thing about the insurance industry?
1: I'm always challenged. When I, I think I, I know everything about the insurance industry, then I, I discovered there's a lot more uh, for me to learn. I think also, as I mentioned before, I, I think the, it's an industry, uh, especially on the reinsurance side, that's uh, fairly small and we tend to, to build very close ties with our, our partners or our clients and even sometimes our competitors. And I think as an industry, that's uh, very rich and, and one of the things I, I like about this industry.
0: It's great, John-Paul. In this episode, I learned how John-Paul's engineering experience helped to draw him into the world of insurance and how he sees insurers as a shock absorber to help cushion the blow of climate change losses. It's also fascinating to see how insurers can influence reducing greenhouse gases by leveraging both their underwriting and investments. If you've enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and subscribe to CEO Perspectives wherever you get your podcasts. And look forward to next month when we share a dynamic discussion with another industry leader. For more information on climate change and insurance, please visit our website, insiderengage.com. Thanks to John Paul Conesante for sharing his story with us today, our producer Lindsay Riley at Earshot Strategies for making us sound good, and my Your Money colleagues, Celine Frost and Kareem Magaro for their help and support.